Welcome to the Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. Well, welcome to Keys of the Kingdom. I'm Brother Gregory, and we're going to again talk about the Kingdom of God. And we're back on the subject of troll. I was going to finish up our series on home church, and we will get to that. But uh, somebody's been trolling us again. <laughs> they're, they're trolling us with uh, with uh, stuff that trolls write. Uh, so, you know, what's this whole troll thing? Well, a troll is somebody who is not really as interested in the truth as he would like to think. You know, it's a mythical creature that doesn't like the light. And if you bring any truth to them that they're unfamiliar with, then suddenly you're a bad guy. You're a cult or you're, you know, they, they get they engage in name calling and they go around behind your back and they they threaten you and they do all these things and they're going to condemn you. And uh, we've seen this, you know, I've been at this for decades and decades, and, and you see this on the Internet where certain people seem to have this troll spirit of of going around defaming everybody. And, you know, we had we had one guy who, who does this. His whole web page is just all the people that are uh, clearly heretics or I don't know what he calls them, but, you know, just – just a huge long list every day he must be or every week anyway he's been doing it for a long time has been adding somebody else who is condemned and not the the true church i think that's the name of his site or something and his name's darwin fish and we did we put down a lot of the stuff that he puts on his page about us you know accusing us of this and that and the other thing and went through a lot of them one by one and showed that that doesn't apply. And uh, then there are people who accuse us of being a cult. And so, you know, I had to look up just standard locations of, you know, what's a cult? Uh, wh- how do you identify them? And there's several people who go around and and talk about cults and tell teach people about cults. And they're well respected. And so we went to their pages and looked at all the items you look for to find a cult and find out if if there's anything that we're doing that would actually make you appear to be a cult and we didn't we didn't match up we just don't do the things that that, that you normally find in cults and so we we put all that on a web page so people can go and check it out and see well are we a cult and you can look it up and uh and we quote where you know you can look your, for yourself do your own research but people jump on these little phrases, oh, they're a cult, oh, you know, they're strange, or oh, they're not biblically correct. But when you get down to the specifics, you find out that these people aren't very accurate, they're not very thorough, they they don't do their homework, they just want to call you names, and so they can write you off. And so, and in the case of people like Darwin Fish and Jim, uh, I think it's Polinek, he wants to literally condemn you, you know, to shun you, mark you, so that nobody goes near you because you don't fit the model. And uh, and he has, uh, Jim has a big, huge, long 
webpage uh, full of all the people that he's condemned, uh, you know, Mennonites and Baptists and Methodists and Assembly of God and all these people got it all wrong. But Jim evidently got it all right. And he writes this out and what he thinks is a logical explanation of what you are to look for and what you're not to look for or, or, you know, look that they don't do this or they're bad. And uh, they should be, you know, put over here and shunned and stay away from because they're they're not really preaching the real gospel. And so, actually, I I did a two-hour audio that I released to the entire network this morning pretty early. And uh, we went through part of his letter and part of this whole idea of trolls and how they attack people and, and all this stuff. And they do it to all kinds of people, obviously. Like I say, there's a whole streams and names on there but i i really can't bring myself to build a whole page addressing all this which is why he he sent us this stuff way back in 2017 and i i read it over like i read the emails that i get and i answer phone calls but it was just one accusation after another and i'm supposed to write them back and address all these and defend myself and really i'm just preaching the gospel If you want, it's very clear that he wants to mark us as bad people and all this kind of stuff. And if I get into some kind of debate with him over this back and forth with emails, they just jump around. They, They don't follow real logical patterns. They think it's logical because they have assumed a great many things are true. And, and they have, they have created their own doctrine, their own uh, private interpretation of the gospel. Of course, they think it's universal and they, they, they're right and all this stuff. And of course, that's, that's part of their personal delusion. And of course, now we think we're right too. But ultimately, you shouldn't be following me or Jim or, or, uh, Darwin Fish or any of these people. You should be following the Holy Spirit and led by the Holy Spirit. And, but you should be testing your faith to find out if your faith is real. Because the apostles all talk about that testing, you know, Paul, Peter, John, James, they all talk about that. James says, you know, how do you know? How do you know your faith is real? People say, well, I believe in Jesus, and so therefore I am saved. And, well, yeah, but is your belief real, or are you a liar? Because the Bible shows you several things to check for yourself. And you can certainly check me, but you don't need to know whether I'm for real or not. Although, it's fine if you check us out. We're very open. That was one of the things I pointed in the, out in the show that, that I posted to the, the network. If you're on the network, you get to see those audios. We'll, we'll probably put them on the troll page eventually. As a matter of fact, I, I, I did put that one audio. There's three audios now on the troll page. So if you look up trolls at Preparing You, you can hear the audio. And I mentioned, People like Jim and, and Phil and that. But I don't do it to antagonize them or attack them or put them down. Uh, I, just people were asking me to respond to it, so I responded to what they had to say. And there is a certain lesson in going over some of the things that Jim writes and so that you can learn and you can see you know, when, when you're dealing with that troll spirit, and I don't want to call him a troll, but that spirit is there, that spirit of condemning and bashing other people in the head, you know, of course he's not really actually hitting me in the head, but bashing people to, you know, dispose of them, 
which is what Cain did. Like I said in our study on trolls, is the first troll was Cain. And of course, Saul had that troll spirit in him. And what the troll spirit almost always ends up in, the more you give yourself over to that, is self-destruction. And uh, and of course, light is a destroyer of trolls that turns them to stone. But they're, they have kind of a stone heart. They have no compassion, no empathy, really, to begin with. They, they feign it. But they're domineering and uh, they're controlling. and uh, uh, But there's all kinds of different levels of this. And the more you look at it, the more you can see it. And the important thing of understanding trolls is to make sure you don't become one. Because, you know, when Christ was on the cross, he wasn't saying, you know, you know, and they were mocking him. He wasn't saying, you know, that's not what I said. <laughs> you know, he's not arguing with them. You know, they're going to believe what they want to believe. He's bearing witness. You know, I mean, he, he did away with all their arguments against them when he said, forgive them. I know not. They know not what they do. And so I forgive Jim. I forgive Darwin and I forgive, you know, both Darwins, Darwin Fish and the other Darwin. <laughs> so uh, that's his real name, Darwin Fish. At least that's what he keeps saying. That's his real name because it does seem kind of strange. But, but uh, you know, if you, you do it, a search of us for some reason these websites just pop right up they're always the negative websites pop up right alongside ours uh you know i i'm trusting google less and less uh, and i'm seeing it filter over the same patterns filter over into other you know other search engines but anyway let's get to this um what jim uh he has his 10 point test he's put it upon himself he thinks he's doing what paul said He's not doing most of what Paul said and most of what we see Paul doing. But he does, he's kind of got a blind eye to what Paul was really doing. Uh, he, he has a blind eye to what the early church was like. And, you know, to some degree that's reasonable because after 2,000 years and, you know, a 1,000 years of apostasy, maybe we can even take that apostasy all the way back to uh, Constantine where he was creating this other church where you didn't have to repent and get baptized, you just got baptized, and then the state started funding your church with millions and millions of dollars. All of that funding was coming from a man who went out and wiped out whole villages. Even after he became this Christian, he went in and killed whole villages, just murdered them, uh, thousands of people at a time. And uh, But he was a Christian. <laughs> so, and he actually he sat on a golden throne and thought he was the head of the church. And, and most of the people don't know all of what Constantine did. He never got baptized. Um, you know, you mean water baptized until he was dead. They baptized him when he uh, was dead. And I guess some people are starting to do that, baptize the dead. Although, you know, traditionally, the Jews baptized. It was a, it, That's a Jewish tradition, baptism. Uh, we see it way back at Mount Sinai. But uh, anyway, the uh, they did wash the dead. After you died, they often would wash a body before they buried they washed before they got married. They they washed all the time. And it was always like they're starting anew. You know, go and clean up and then start anew. And it was symbolic of that. But we have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And when you're baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're going to see certain things. And this is what the apostles are all talking about. Certain characteristics that you're going to start observing in somebody who is really repentant, really seeking the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and really being anointed by the Holy Spirit. 
You're just going to start seeing that more and more. Hopefully, it, it will grow in him. That spirit will grow in him. You have to remember the word Christ means anointed. And so when you are like Christ, anointed with the spirit of Christ, you're not going to appear as a troll. You're not going to be doing the things that trolls do. You're not going to be doing the things that Saul did. You, you know, you're not going to be trying to control other people or off with their head or dispose of them. You, you're going to be perfectly okay with freedom of speech and respecting other people. But you're also going to be, besides keeping the commandments, uh, and we'll get to that. We'll show you some quotes on it. Besides keeping the commandments, you're going to start manifesting the characters of Christ. And you should even begin to manifest some of the miracles. Although, we don't want people to believe by miracles and by signs and wonders. We want to believe because it's being written on their hearts and their minds by that Spirit of Christ in them. Because that's the promise. He's going to write it upon your hearts and upon your minds. And yeah, it might be different than what you've been hearing from other churches. You know, we're big advocates of home church. We're big advocates of not exercising authority one over the other. But we're also big advocates of pure religion. Pure religion was how you took care of the needy in your society. The widows and orphans are usually what you would list as the needy of your society because somehow, you know, the Hebrew and even in the Greek, widows and orphans were people who... You know, an old woman, 80-year-old woman, who all her children are dead, and she has no other relatives, and she's alone. Uh, well, she's a widow, uh, if she was married before. Uh, if she was never married before, then she's an orphan. She has no family. It's not just that your parents have died. You have no family to take care of you, because in the kingdom of God, mostly you're taken care of by your family. But sometimes that's not enough because your family is broken down or died or or became miscreants or whatever. And so somebody else in the community of Christians will step forward as a group, as individuals. You know, if you only have one guy doing this all the time, he can kind of get burned out. Or he won't be able to support his own family if he's spending all his time taking care of other people. So... That's that's part of why and how Christians came together is to take care of one another. But anyway, we'll look at some of the things that he said in his 10-point test of us so that you can start to see the, the thinking that goes on in the minds of uh, some of these people that are actually mesmerized by an image of Christ that they have created in their own mind, an image of God even. That they've created in their own mind. And they become absolutely loyal to that image. And if you say anything that looks a little different than that image. Oh you're bad. Because they're actually idolaters. Because they worship worship the image created in their own mind. And, uh, and you don't want to do that. You want the real Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And again back to those tests that the Bible talks about. You will see when the real Holy Spirit is dwelling in you that a person is, is not an angry person. He's, he's not a condemning person. He's uh, a generous person. He's a kind person. Uh, he will be manifest. He will be gathering together in your home church and in a congregation, whether it's Assembly of God or Methodists or Catholics or anything. 
He will be going there to serve. And you see this in almost every church. There's always some people who are real workers, patient, uh, loving, caring, going out of their way to help other people. Those are probably Christians. Now, there's more to it than that. But that's definitely a sign that they might be Christians. The ones who just sit there and never do anything for anybody, maybe do a lot of gossiping over there in the corner, maybe do a lot of backbiting, you know, condemning people because they're not perfect. That's probably not a Christian. And so Paul goes through a whole list like that, you know, and and so you can you can look that up and, and go through that list. But in looking at Jim's 10 points, the first one is, the gospel message that Jesus and the apostles taught us in the Bible as a narrow road gospel message. And of course, the way is narrow. It's not broad. You can't just do anything you want. You have to do things that would be in accordance to Christ. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, he does his John uh, 3, 3. He likes to pop that in. He doesn't always put the, the quotes there. Uh, be baptized in obedience. I agree with that. Obedience to the commandments. And, and we'll see lots of quotes where it says, you know, if you're not keeping the commandments, if you have a lot of trouble keeping the commandments, your faith is a lie. That's what the Bible says. That's in the New Testament. If you love me, you will keep the commandments. If you're not keeping the commandments, then you're you're lying. Now, you're, you may not be lying to me, but you're lying to yourself. And therefore, what you're telling me about your faith is a lie. You know, people say, oh, we don't have to keep the commandments anymore because the law is done away with. The Ten Commandments is not done away with. All the Ten Commandments hinge upon love God and love thy neighbor as thyself. And so, if you're not loving your neighbor, if you're coveting your neighbor's goods, if you're taking from your neighbor, if you're abusing your neighbor, if you're doing all these things, condemning him, judging him, beating him, stealing from him, coveting his wife, whatever, that's evidence that you don't really believe in Jesus. Because if you really believed in Jesus and Jesus was in you, keeping those commandments is not as hard. <laughs> it was before Jesus entered into you. So, it, before the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, came into you. So, I agree that we're baptized by the Holy Spirit unto obedience. Uh, we deny ourselves, uh, our ego, our vanity, sometimes our comfort for others. We're, we come, like Christ, who denied himself, came to serve. So, if, if Christ is in us, we come to serve. He says we live holy. Now, again, that may take a little bit of interpretation because he thinks he's holy because he thinks he's separate from the world and he thinks that word means world of religion. He doesn't even seem to know all the places that the word world is in the New Testament. It's not the same word as organized system. But the world that the the Christians were a part of was not, uh, it, they were not stopping from being organized religion. They were very organized religious. Is that the early Christians were actually feared by the emperors because they were so organized, but they were organized from the bottom up. They weren't. They didn't have an authoritarian organization. Christ said, "You're not to be like the governments of the Gentiles who exercise authority one over the other." So, all the Christians were gathering together in free assemblies to take care of one another. To you know, and one of the guy who posted. Um, Jim's uh, stuff on our Facebook uh, deal. He he had the first problem he seemed to have with me is that 
he didn't like the word ministration. Why do I use that? Well, it's in the King James. And he says, oh, are you one of the King James only? No, I'm not a King James only, but I use the King James for writing so that I'm using one consistent translation that people are commonly familiar with and have the most concordances based on that so that you can see. Now, ministration is not used heavily today as it was 50 years ago. We commonly use words like administration, but it's the same word. It's just they put the AD on the front, so no big deal. So... Anyway, because he was unfamiliar with the word, there was something wrong with it. But, I mean, I didn't I didn't make it up it's in the Bible. And they talk about a daily ministration. What was that? That was rightly dividing the bread from house to house. When hard times came, and we see that right away in Acts, the apostles and the ministers of the church, the called out, that's what church comes from, the word meaning called out, called for contributions amongst the people to send aid where it was going to be needed. And Paul and Barnabas take that aid where it is needed. How'd they know where to go? They were already a network. And they were a network, believe it or not, because Christ commanded them to organize themselves in what we would call today a network. In companies of 10, in ranks of 100, that means 10 groups of 10, and then 50 groups of 100, which is 5,000, families because it was 5,000 men in their families that were when he shows them how to do this many of them knew how to do it modern Christians lack knowledge it's warned that we would lack knowledge it doesn't mean that we don't have a good heart but we lack knowledge so we're showing you that this is how they I wrote a whole book it's free online anybody can get it uh and you don't have to sign up or anything. Just search it. It's Thy Kingdom Comes. It goes through step by step and shows you how this was the most common way. Not only the church organized, all the Christians organized, but many other nations organized this way throughout the history of mankind. It is actually, according to some authors, the most common way in which free governments organized. And we certainly see Israel doing the same thing. So if you have home churches, that's a good way to do it. Is to organize because if you're going to be like the first century church, if there's like we talked in the last couple of weeks, like the fire in, in Paradise, California, how do you get aid there? How do you do it efficiently? How do you get it to people who really need that help? Uh, we just had a, a, a woman and her baby suddenly homeless and uh, they needed help. Well, we went and found them help and we, we, we found a place for them to be. But to do that efficiently, you need to be organized. But it's self-organized, not from the top, from the bottom. And that's what the Christians were doing. But we're going to get to all ten points. Be right back. Well, welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. So anyway, uh, Jim is, uh, goes through his ten points, and we'll, we'll go through those ten points. But in his original letter of accusation, which I guess is on his webpage, uh, website still, that was one of the things he pointed out. I think it's number two. He says Gregory and his Holy Church fail this 10-point Bible test that has some of the marks of true New Testament body. So he said we failed that. So, so far we've, we've only really looked at one and we evidently didn't fail that because I agree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> so anyway, we'll look at some of the others. The two was uh, the early true 
test, uh, New Testament uh, church had no modern pastor role, parentheses, one man teaching and running the entire gathering as a falsely, as falsely is practiced today. Absolutely agree. I absolutely agree with that. Uh, the role, uh, but now they did have this metaphorical uh, reference to being shepherds. And the word pastor and the word shepherd is often the same word, both in Hebrew and Greek texts. Uh, so we're talking about the same thing. And, but that role is not one man teaching and running the entire gathering. Not by any shape or, or means. But we can see you know, first and second century church before the introduction of Constantine's uh, corruption of what the church really should be. We we have meetings of the church where certain men are standing up and speaking. But we also see there are other men that stand up and speak as well. I have always said that the congregation of the people is elder run. And when I say elder run, our definition of elder meeting the actual word as it was used in those days, was the head of every family, was an elder. He was, the, you know, the oldest head of that family would be called an elder. And we're saying that Paul is not appointing elders to an office in some church. There, He's appointing men who are elders by nature to do certain tasks that are before the church. One of those tasks is to feed my sheep. Now, it doesn't mean just spiritually. It means actually feeding them with real bread, meats, food, uh, clothing, uh, shelter, all these things when it's necessary. And we see right away out of the box, John the Baptist is saying this from the beginning. We see the apostles doing it, uh, going in the temple and rightly dividing bread from house to house. We see them taking up collections and bringing aid all the way across the Roman Empire to other nations within the Roman Pax Romana. They're doing this. If you're just all running around your little private home church or your little home gathering, I don't really see that Jim has any kind of gathering. I think now he he's opened up some kind of a church gathering in his home, but he's I, I know very little about him. He's not very open about these things. But anyway, um, the reality is that that's he's absolutely right. So we agree with number two, 100%. The modern pastor role of one man teaching, everybody sitting in pews. We don't do that. We don't think that's really where it's at. I'm not going to go around and condemn everybody. I know people down at the local assembly of God, and some of them are really good guys. You know, I don't know all of them, so I'm not going to say all of them are really good guys. They actually had a pastor there for a couple of years, and they kept coming to me and said, how do we get rid of them? I said, well, you got them. <laughs> they didn't like them. Uh, most of them didn't like them, but they didn't know how to get rid of them. Well, uh, in the way we organize the church, you don't like them. You can get rid of them instantly because <laughs> I mean, it's his position as shepherd or pastor is dependent entirely upon you accepting him as your pastor. You don't accept them. You just walk away because we don't even like the word member. We refer to our, you know, home churches as free assemblies because that's a, that's a phrase used in the Old Testament. That they're not a, a unincorporated associations. They're not corporations. They're just free assemblies. The, the elders of families and the families come together 
for the purposes of Christ. And they have to work out their salvation with fear and trembling. That's a pattern that we go by. So we fit right into that. We pass that test. The early New Testament church, this number three, did not practice going to church. We just did an article, do church. Do you do church? We have that phrase popping up. And it kind of goes against my grain a little bit because the word church comes from the Greek word ekklesia, which does not mean a gathering or an assembly. The call, it means the called out. Now, the called out did assemble, but it was the Levites who were called out. They were referred to in the New Testament as the church in the wilderness. What they're actually saying there, before you translate it, is the called out in the wilderness. That would be the Levites. They were called out. Then they were sent back in, and they became ministers of a nation. But they couldn't exercise authority one over the other either. They were... They weren't making up all the rules that we see the Pharisees doing. Uh, we don't. They weren't doing what the Sadducees were doing. They were doing something else. They, they actually were much similar to the Essenes. Somewhere in all this, uh, uh, Jim refers to the Essenes as some minor sect. Uh, actually, the Essenes were one of the most popular religious groups. And I really even can't call it a sect. They followed a certain pattern, but they weren't all the same. Uh, they weren't all, they didn't have a pope, so they didn't have one single doctrine coming down because the way the Essenes gathered, they didn't have one single pastor running everything <laughs> either. They, they were full of individuals, but they were the most charitable group. And uh, they were considered holy even by the Romans. And they had a lot of teachings that fall right in line with Christ. Probably many, many of the early Christians, who were all Jews, but they were later called Christians, uh, came from the Essene group. But anyway, that's another whole story. So anyway, back to this early New Testament church, going to church. You didn't go to the... Well, in some ways, you could go to those that are called out. But you didn't do church. It was it was a communion of people, a community of people that were operating by faith, hope, and charity and where everybody was trying to conform to Christ and his kingdom I mean, he, he stood right there. People say, oh, well, the kingdom's not yet. Jesus said, I'm going to take the kingdom away from you guys, meaning the Pharisees who were doing something drastically wrong, and I'm going to appoint it to someone else who will bear fruit. And then later on, we hear him talking to his little flock, not the general people following him, but his little flock who are his disciples, the men he's training up, and say, I'm going to appoint unto you a kingdom. It's his pleasure to do it. And then later on we see him saying, I appoint unto you a kingdom, but you're not to be like the governments who exercise authority one over the other, which is where we see those pastors running the show. They're not supposed to run the show. It's elder-driven because it has to be driven by the Holy Spirit and everybody can have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They might not, and you just have to figure that out, but you really can't figure it out with your intellect you have to figure it out with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> that will show you. But it will be rational, uh, the explanation. And that's the problem. Is sometimes Jim is really very rational. But anyway, he, he is right here in number three because he says they were his holy church living every day with holy lives as the church. Well, as the kingdom of God is what they were actually doing. And the church, again, is the called out. And the called out are providing a certain function 
for the people. And the because Jesus didn't say, feed my church. He said, feed my sheep. So Jesus is making a distinction. And a lot of home churches aren't going to like this because they've got to be in their bonnet about, you know, words like clergy and laity. But I absolutely agreement with most of those. What is posing as church ministers is not what the early ministers of the church were doing. And so once we understand what they were doing, then it all comes into play and it makes sense. Nobody's at enmity with one another. Nobody's lording it over one another. But it is a way in which a community can organize to do what the early church was doing. He goes on to say they had no need for special religious buildings. We have none. Uh, they had no parking lots. We don't really have any parking lots. We don't have any stages. I hate getting behind pulpits. Uh, special lights, special uh, uh, you know, music and all this kind of stuff. You guys just have to work that out. We're not going to run that kind of show anyway. Or the misuse of the Lord's money. Absolutely. I agree with that 100%. So I passed that test too. It is a spiritual house. And and holy priesthood, and you know even the word priesthood, we have an article on that. This is in that that huge site that Jim talks about, and uh, at preparing you, we show you the origin. Every elder is priest to his family. He's not priest to everybody else's family, and that's the way it was even way back in the Old Testament. The Levites were a priest to the nation. They weren't exercising authority over the people either. The people were only tithed to according to their service. If the Levites were providing a service that helped out the whole community and was a service to the community of the Israelites, they were supported in the work that they did. You don't muzzle the ox. You you give them what they're worth. But it was your choice. You tithe to them according to their service. No service, they don't get anything. And it, it was... a, a that's why they call it a free assembly. And that's the way the early church was operating. So, number four. The true to ne- true ne- <laughs> tongue tied here. The true New Testament church is to be for committed believers and their training up for ministry as told to us in Ephesians four. Well, you know, that's true. But the fact is is there were many people in these congregations that had ideas that they were carrying from where they had been before. And that's why Paul was going around and putting out these spot fires and saying, no, you really shouldn't do things that way. And no, you should probably do things that James was doing the same thing, uh, trying to explain the people how to test their faith and how to not do certain things and to do other things. And and, and we see Jim following those instructions uh, unfortunately, he misinterprets some of those, and maybe we'll get to that. But, uh, so, yeah, and now he wants to, anybody who doesn't follow the instructions according to the way that he sees they should be, which is his private interpretation, they're out. I mean, if your wife doesn't wear a scarf and head covering, she's out. If she doesn't have a long dress, you're out, and he, she's out, because you're effeminate, and you know, he goes on and talks about all these kinds of things. And those are those are warning signs that we need to get rid, you know, mark that person, have nothing to do with him. So, you know, that very guy who posted Jim's stuff on our website, he would be out, <laughs> according to Jim. If you're going to 
promote Jim's doctrines as if that is a source of a good source of information. You gotta make sure he isn't gonna throw you out too. <laughs> so anyway, along with most of the other people in the home church movement, because none of them would, would well, I shouldn't say none of them. Many of them would not fit into Jim's interpretation of the Bible. So I actually find myself in fairly good company by being condemned by Jim. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I, I don't want to argue with Jim. I'm just trying to use this as a springboard so we can actually see how the kingdom actually works, uh, how, what Christ was actually doing. He, he wasn't preaching the church, uh, you know, of heaven on earth. He was preaching the kingdom of heaven on earth. Actually, Matthew's the only one that says kingdom of heaven. Everybody else says kingdom of God. And clearly, they're inter- interchangeable phrases because Matthew uses kingdom of heaven in the same instances that we see the phrase used in in uh, other gospels as kingdom of God. So it's the same thing. It's just a Matthew was writing to Jews, so chances are his original scripture was written in Hebrew and then turned into Greek. And in that translation changed, some of it became kingdom of heaven, some of it was kingdom of God. Another whole story. Today, modern pastors, man's religion aim at filling up pews. We don't even own a pew (laughs) anywhere in the church. We don't have any pews. Uh, Seekers to come and gather fellowship with them. Uh, Christ's true people are called out to obedience. Absolutely agree. Uh, obedience to the way, which is what Christianity was originally called. And to live a set-apart, holy life. I agree. Now, the interpretation of that may vary between me and Jim, but there's nothing in here that we don't advocate. And to not be of a sinful, fallen world. Absolutely. And that word world there, well, we have to discuss that somewhere else, but we don't think you should be looking to the world for your salvation while you're telling me that you found Christ your salvation. And we can easily show you in history and in the biblical text that the Christians looked to one another. They loved one another. They cared for one another. They provided for one another. I mean, the stories all around, we see it in the biblical text, but also in the persecution of the saints. They're helping one another out all the time. How do they know how to do that? Because they know one another. Why do they know one another? Because they're in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands, as Christ commanded. And, you know, we can get a buy with not doing that now, and you can go to your little fellowship and feel good about it. But if if you fall on hard times, you're either going to go to Caesar or you're going to go to Christ. The early church did not go to Caesar. They went to Christ. And you can see that in the historical record of their persecution that went on for hundreds of years after the end of the writing of scriptures. It's not a secret. We can certainly see it in the scriptures that there, you know, there are men standing up and saying, you know, bad things are going to happen. We have to prepare for them. And they were right. Wow, amazing. Okay, number five. The Bible clearly teaches that redeemed holy ladies of his church, these are his words, are to dress biblically, modest, be be shamefast and not, that's the word he has here, shamefast, and not like the carnal world of today. 
well, they should be dressing modestly and everything, but you know we're not we're we're not uh, putting dress codes on everybody to to look like they just stepped out of the first century. Uh, but there's a lot of ways that people dress modestly. Like again, the, many of the people I see in the home church movement would be in a lot of trouble following Jim. But evidently, Phil thinks we should listen to Jim. Uh, well, if you're going to listen to Jim, you're going to get all of Jim. So anyway, also, are you aware of the biblical head covering? So you got to be wearing that scarf. To not do so is unbiblical and disobedient. Well, actually, the whole head covering thing, we're not going to get sidetracked on that. It has to do with covering that's symbolic of being covered and protected. And, you know, you have to go back to that time. Again, you couldn't call 911. Uh, you, you know, women shouldn't just be walking around down in the streets and it wasn't safe. And uh, so they needed to be you know, protected because there were a lot of mean guys out there. Uh, so there it was and they shouldn't be out there flaunting their sexuality and all these kinds of things too you know which is really corrupt in the world and but these are things that you need to yeah i'm not going to impose upon them we'll talk about them hopefully you make the right decisions when we come together as an assembly we're not a corporate body and there will be people with lots of different ideas jesus when he first started assembling with people and talking to them he was with tax collectors, he was with prostitutes, he was with, with all sorts of people. Pharisees, Sadducees, all came and they sat down and talked. It's a free assembly. Then get up and walk away. Uh, but what happens is that you're supposed to be seeking the kingdom of God and the righteousness of God. And loving them, you know, I'll sit down and talk with Jim. Uh, you know, I'll talk with, uh, you know, trolls. I'll talk with Republicans and Democrats. And uh, so when I'm sitting down and talking with them, is that not an assembly? But, you know, if I see people doing certain things wrong and, you know, they're beating their wife and they're uh, taking drugs and and uh, that's how the that woman became homeless. She took some drugs. She has a drug problem. She was trying to get clean. She fell. So we get her with some other people, get her in another shelter. Because uh, she wasn't allowed to stay where she was because she had taken some drugs. And we try to get her clean. We're trying to keep her from losing her child. <laughs> but uh, if she continues to take drugs, we're not going to house her. She's on her own. And the government will probably come in and take her child away from her. So that, but the if they're showing signs of repentance and turning around and trying to do what would be godly, then, but I'm not going to kick them out because they don't wear a scarf on the head. But anyway, so he has articles on head covering, adornments, biblical dress. Women have to be silent. Uh, no women pastors. All this kind of stuff. And really, I don't see any need for women pastors. Uh, that we did have a group of women who wanted to form a congregation, and you know they were widows. One was a daughter. Uh, one had not gotten married. Uh, I think there was a divorcee in there. And they just wanted to form a little congregation and they wanted to have representation, connection to other groups. So, okay, it's all women. There aren't any men. I, if all things are perfect, you shouldn't have any trouble. I mean, your ministers should be married to one wife and have good children. I don't know anything about Jim's children. 
uh, and raised well. Everybody can know all my kids. Um, and there's a reason, I mean, it's very clear in Titus and Timothy, the reason you're looking at that is to find out how stable this individual is because a lot's riding on them. Not because they're going to sit up in the pulpit and tell you what to think, but they're your connection to all the other congregations that you are supposed to be loving and helping. How are you going to send, who are you going to send aid to, to the Christians in Poughkeepsie if you don't know anybody in Poughkeepsie? Well, that's why they formed a network in the first century church. And like I said, we got a book that goes through and you see this spread all across Europe in, in Christianity that they had this network. And again, uh, you can see the writings of the emperors saying that they feared the Christians because they were so well organized this way. Not to rule over you, not to have some pope telling you what to think or believe and speaking ex cathedra and all this stuff. But because that's the way to serve one another. Number six, are you aware that local church membership with man's extra steps was never practiced in the true New Testament church? I don't know what extra steps. Uh, it was invented by man to control people. Oh, I guess it, uh, these extra steps were invented by man to control people. When you are born again in Christ, you are in his body. And need not join another one. Absolutely. But the question is, are you really born again in Christ? Or are you just born again in your personal imagination? We didn't invent the steps of sitting down in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. I Actually, I don't know who invented it. I know it was all the way back in the days of Nimrod uh, because it's referenced. But it's very clear that Christ commanded that his disciples require the people to gather themselves in a network of tens, hundreds, and thousands. It's, it, it's right in the biblical text. It's not made up by other men. It's right in there. And history shows that this is how they gathered. And to tell you the truth, this is the way the synagogues were gathered even at that time. But Christ commanded that word there in the translation is commanded that this is what the people do so we didn't make it up uh but you're right we don't like the idea of membership because again those 10 family groups called companies uh in the greek it's symposia they're free assemblies uh nobody's binding you in there you're not signing any kind of contract where you have to be in there and you have to give a tithing and you have to do we don't do that so we fit right into this because uh, we don't have any man-made idea of extra steps. We ask you to fill out a piece of paper so that we don't lose track of you. And, that, you know, because we have a responsibility to help you stay connected to all the other home churches. So that's that's simple. And the reason why is because sometimes bad things happen and we can help one another out. We come to serve. And you have to choose to give us the means by which to serve you. We don't come to build big buildings or parking lots and all these other things. We we come to serve. The true New Testament church was Christ. This is number seven. And Bible truth centered. Well, it was Christ centered. And then the Bible was written <laughs> after that. And the Bible's a gift to help us check which is all, like I say, all the apostles talk about ways to check yourself to see if your faith is real. So, 
it is it is not man-centered. It is Christ-centered. But we want Christ in the midst of you, in the center of you, in each of you. And we want you to come together, not forsake the gathering together, in order to do what that first century church was doing. But we'll have to look at some of his other 10-step plan when we come back to Keys of the Kingdom. So be right back. So welcome back to Keys of the Kingdom. Uh, there's a chat room on this program if people want to uh, ask a question as we go along. I might be able to answer it before we get to the end. But uh, oh, what does uh, we'll, we'll take a look at a few more of these things. We're in number seven now where he's talking about Christ uh, and Bible truth centered. Well, it's Christ centered. And the Bible talks about Christ and tells us stuff. And it, uh, it's a good check. Uh, point to see in my way off and of course like I say all the apostles were telling us to check our faith and check it mostly by what you're doing if you're not keeping the commandments according to John then you don't really have real faith and you need to get real faith you know that's the problem is that people don't really understand faith you need to keep the commandments (laughs) you're not going to earn your way into salvation but if you're not keeping the commandments, that's evidence that there's something wrong with the faith you think you have. It may be, and you may be lying to yourself, you may be fooled, you may be deceived. I don't know. But if you're not keeping the commandments, then that's a sign there's a problem. Uh, James says basically the same thing by their works, by what you're doing. Jesus says it too. You know, not those who say they believe in me, uh, or Lord, Lord. But those who doeth the will of the Father. Uh, you're not automatically forgiven because Christ died on the cross. Because Christ said you had to, you, if you don't forgive your brother or your neighbor, then my Father will not forgive you. I mean, Christ says this. So, yes, Christ did his part. He died on the cross that you might be saved. But if you're not going to do what Christ said, then you don't really believe in him and you're not really saved no matter how many times you want to tell me that you are saved because you really do believe. I know you're not if you're not doing what he said. Now, you can turn around, you can repent of what you're doing wrong and then hopefully that spirit will enter into you and then it won't be so hard to keep the commandments. And so, you know, so the Bible's really handy in showing us this because we look at that early church, there's Paul traveling to Ephesus, there's Paul traveling to Corinth, going to Galatia, coming back from Galatia with funds, money, to help out the needy of society because there was breakdowns, dearths, famines that were happening and they continued to happen. We see the first century church and the second century church, um, according to the apology of uh, of Justin, that they gathered once a week. They gathered on Sunday, but yet, in 150 AD, they were still keeping the Sabbath. Most most Christians were still, I don't know if most by then were Jews, but many of them were Jews. And they were still keeping their traditions of the Sabbath, which is okay. I have no problem with that. I want you to keep the Sabbath the way it was meant to be kept, which is not the way the Pharisees were keeping it. Clearly, Jesus had a problem with the way the Pharisees were keeping it. It meant more, but you can go look up our article on that in that massive website that has all these information about what was really going on. And you can judge for yourself. Unfortunately, Jim's kind of not doing a very thorough job. That's why he made all these accusations at us that simply aren't true. But anyway, 
He says, uh, what does a religious place use to draw the people? Well, we we know that Jesus came to serve. So all we have to draw people together, not to us, together, is to serve the Father by loving one another. You know, religion today, if you looked it up in a dictionary, the definition of religion, you know, uh, is what you think about a supreme being. And uh, if if Jim looked it up in, a, in most dictionaries, that's what it would say. 200 years ago, if you looked it up in a dictionary, it would say something to the effect, and I'll quote here from at least one dictionary, the pious performance of your duty to God and your fellow man. Clearly, Jesus refers to a duty to your fellow man to love your neighbor, to even love your enemy. That's your duty because Christ says to do it. So, how do you love them? Well, we're told that the church was to feed his sheep. Uh, spiritually and physically, do the same in meats. This is what they're telling you. Not just uh, clothe them and visit them and help them and heal them, but uh, you know, actually feed them when there's need to be fed. They should have homes of their own, but occasionally people need help. And the church was doing this. And they were doing it because... The people were gathered in a network that made that possible. They weren't just going around saying, if you don't believe this, you're out. They were, because Christ clearly calls in a bunch of people. He talks about this. That he says, you come into the kingdom and they say, us, why us? They don't even know they're Christians. They haven't professed Christ. They're wondering, why, why are you letting us come in? He says, because you, you fed me when I was hungry, you gave me drink when I was thirsty, all this stuff, you clothed me when I was naked. He says, when did we do these things? They don't even know what he's talking about. He said, when you did it to the least of my brethren. He didn't say it when you did it to the poor. I actually saw where Jim quoted and says you do it to the poor. Or somebody did, anyway. I don't want to blame it on Jim. But it said, when you did it to the least of my brethren. His brethren is the ones who are doing the will of the Father. And people see that and people come and help that because the law of God, the Spirit of God is being written on their hearts and their minds. It isn't because they got an idea in their head and they worship that idea. It's because deep down in their heart, they're actually worshiping Christ. They don't know it yet. Christ has to explain it. So how did Jesus take the kingdom away from the Pharisees? Did he go in with a sword? Did he go in and, you know, uh, write their names down and strike a line through it? <laughs> what did he do? He let them remove the kingdom from them. When they said, we have no king but Caesar, they're out. When Caesar said, Jesus Christ is the king of the Jews, they're out. And anybody who follows Jesus is Judea is the Jews. All those Christians who followed Christ, all those people, all those Jews who followed Christ, thousands of people said, all oh, the Jews didn't accept Jesus. Who are all those guys on Pentecost? Those are Jews. They're all accepting Jesus. And they're following Jesus. Christianity is not a sect of Judaism. It is Judaism. <laughs> but unfortunately, 
the ones who said we have no king but Caesar, and it wasn't all Jews everywhere. It was just that group that was in Judea. They're out of the kingdom. They're an offshoot of Judaism. Christianity is the real Judaism because it's following the real king of Judea, which is Christ. Now the question is, is Jim following Christ? Are you following Christ? Is Phil following Christ? And am I following Christ? You don't need to know about me. You need to know about you. I need to know about me. This is an individual journey. We come together so that we can practice what Christ was doing. Christ came to serve. If you don't gather together, who are you serving? You're just serving yourself. Going around condemning everybody else who doesn't do things like you. That's just self-serving. But anyway, so we don't have the music to gather you. I mean, you know, if you want to put on a record. Oops, I'm, I'm dating myself. Uh, put on a DVD <laughs> or, or CD. You know, you can. You can play music. I don't have any. We're not going to regulate that. Obviously, if if it leads you to do things you shouldn't be doing, you know, that are really a sin and violation of the Ten Commandments and and in ways of immorality, then we're going to say, you know, really, I, I'm not, I can't be a part of that. You know, I remember I, I worked as a, a manager of a pizza parlor once and we had a live band there and it was playing music. And one of the girls who was there eating pizza with all these guys from, I think it was a local high school or maybe it was the college. Anyway, she got up on the table and started dancing and kind of everybody was hooping and hollering. It got a little out of hand and I had to, as manager, I had to go up and I reached out and I touched her hand and got her attention. And she looked at me and I shook my head. I had a smile on my face. I just shook my head. Oh, she covered her face with her hands and she jumped off the table and she ran into the bathroom and she was afraid to come out. We had to send somebody. It's okay. Just don't dance on the table. <laughs> so anyway, so there will be correction, but we're not, we're not enticing you with a good feeling. Even if that good feeling comes from condemning everybody that doesn't fit your private interpretation of the Bible. We have to come together to work our salvation out with fear and trembling conforming to the Lord. And if Phil and Jim would take time to find out who we are instead of just read a few pages and come to a conclusion that somehow we don't fit in, uh, you know, they could join with us. That's fine. And in free assemblies, they're not becoming members of some corporate body. But anyway, so the the Pharisees and the Jews who said we have no king but Caesar, they're out. All those who got the baptism of Jesus Christ they were the real Jews. They still called themselves Jews. They still had a lot of the practices of it. When they started bringing in uh, uh, other, you know, Romans and and Greeks and, and stuff like that, they didn't have all those ritualistic customs, but they all had the custom of loving one another. They all had the custom of forgiving one another. They all had the custom of caring about one another and having strong families. And this is how they were able to survive the decline and fall of the Roman Empire because they were conforming to the Spirit of Christ because the Spirit of Christ was coming into them because they didn't just care about themselves. They cared about others, which is part of the duty of pure religion to take care of the needy of your society, not send them to Caesar when they have a need. So anyway, that's what we're talking about. 
In number eight, it says, are you aware that worship leaders practice choirs, Sunday schools, youth pastors, or ritual timed out man-led services and expensive religious buildings were never a part of the New Testament church? Yeah. Because <laughs> so, we don't have any of those things. <laughs> so, I mean, I we did, you know, we have uh, gatherings here, out here on the desert. We try to get together at least once a year. Uh, there's a gathering in Florida uh, right now that's uh, coming up that people can go to. Um, and if people want to bring a guitar and come out and sing a little bit, and, you know, the gathering may go all day or several days. It's It's up to them how they do it. But the idea is to come together and actually do what that first century church was doing. That's that's the goal. So if they want to sing, okay. But that's the attraction is Christ and Christ in you. So anyway, number nine. Did you know that the tithe was never taught or practiced in the early New Testament church? Not so. <laughs> well, not not as uh, the the Jews were doing it because they were compelling the tithe, you know, and they were forcing the tithe, and uh, it was had become pretty much a tax under Herod, and that's how he got the money to build the temple. Uh, the temple of Roma was operating the same way Herod built that as well. Uh, yeah, that wasn't, it. but sacrificing, sharing, uh, helping provide bread for the needy of society, they were doing that. And why they call it tithes is because they were gathering in ten families. And so whatever you gave out of your family was coming from ten families in a company, symposia, congregation, whatever you want to call it. Free assembly is a term we see translated in the Old Testament. That would go to the minister for the purposes of serving other people, not building big cathedrals or parking lots and all these other things, uh, you know, sound systems and all that stuff. I mean, if people want to have those things, I guess they can have that. But the purpose of the church is to feed my sheep, to take care of one another, to practice that love and faith, hope, and charity. And that's really important that you do that because you don't want to be doing it like the governments of the world who exercise authority or force offerings or put guilt trips on you. But they had a Corbanus box in the early church long before Constantine uh, where they put funds. Uh, this is one of the things that when the Christians were being persecuted, they often tried to persecute uh, the, the ministers because they would have funds. They did have some property. Uh, and because we see them, you know, suing the government for wrongful confiscation. And there's a reason for that. We won't go into all that. Or we won't get to the everything here because we're running out of time. But... Uh, so there was tithing. That's how they provided the bread from house to house. That's how they, but the tithing again, the way it was originally, like I said, you can go to Leviticus. You tithe to them according to their service. When they said, that, I mean, you see right there in Acts that there's this dearth coming and they take up a collection and they're taking it up from people who are sitting down in the tens, hundreds and thousands. Because that's what Christ commanded his disciples, organize the people. And that's what the emperors were all afraid of, is that they were doing this. And that's why you see it all throughout Europe. Uh, and, and like I say, all the way into, I mean, even early America, there were still people gathering in those gatherings of tithings. They had a thing called a tithing man. 
And that tithing man was originally, they've distorted it now a little bit in history because they don't tell you the whole truth a lot of times, which we go into in that massive site that explains all this stuff. That the tithing man was to help connect you with other groups. You know, they didn't have cell phones. You couldn't text everybody. So when you wanted to say, you know, one by land and two by sea and I on the opposite shore will be, who's Paul Revere going to go ride and talk to? He's going to talk to the tithing men and they're going to go out to the individuals and that's how they assembled. That's just history. But that that was also the same thing that they did when there was a fire, when there was a famine, when there was a drought. They helped one another out. We had guys here in our local community sending whole hay trucks down to the people in uh, in Paradise, California, because all their hay and feed was burned up and their animals were starving. And so they just loaded up entire truckloads, thousands of dollars worth of hay, and sent them down. Uh, because we have some people in our community that knew some people in that lived in paradise because some of them had lived there before so that we had some contacts but anyway so you want to have good contacts in really hard times and so that's why you sit down in the tens hundreds and thousands but the idea that 10 percent of your paycheck has to be written to the church that wasn't the way tithing was operating that's the way the pharisees were doing it by that time but that's not what tithing was all about it was a way there was no taxes in israel for hundreds of years. It wasn't until Saul. Who forced the first tax. And was called foolish for doing it. But there was tithing. Free will offerings. Because it was a way of assembling. Large numbers of people. Taking care of the needs of society. Through faith, hope and charity. God is the same yesterday as he is today. Pharisees were different than what the early uh, Israel was. Israel had become corrupt. By wanting a king to rule over them and, and eventually force contributions and force to draft and all these things and then divided the people. Jim is dividing people. He's not bringing them together. And he's dividing them based on his private interpretation. So anyway, lastly, his tenth item. Uh, so anyway, he's wrong about tithing. He may be partly right about tithing. The way a lot of people think of tithing, he's right. It, that was not in the first century church. But sacrificing... It was. I mean, the word Corbin is the word sacrifice in Hebrew. It's transla- It's not translated, but it's transliterated as Corbin in the New Testament. And and Jesus says, the Corbin of the Pharisees is making the word of God to none effect. Find out why. Go read our article on Corbin. There was a Corbin of Christ. Each of us were to lay down our lives out of love for one another. And we do that with our contributions. But Jim's absolutely right. Not to build buildings and big sound systems, but to actually take care of the needy of society so that they don't have to become, you know, and pray to Caesar for their benefits. They're taking care of one another. Now, that's a shock to people like Phil, who didn't even know what a daily ministration was. But, and this is a lot to say in a, in a little tiny hour-long or two-hour-long program. So go to the website and actually do some real study and find out, should you be praying to men who... for Right now, the United States government 
is is got to come up and vote again to expand the debt ceiling. They've been doing this every year for years and years and years, decades now. And your children are born thousands, tens of thousands of dollars in debt that they're going to have to pay off through taxes. That's what you've created. And the reason you created that is because you wanted peace and security, you wanted social security, you wanted welfare, you wanted you wanted to elect men who would exercise authority. And guess what those men have done? Just what they said they would do in Samuel 8. God told you they would do. They take and take and take and take and take. They also are borrowing against your future and the future of your children. There is no separate Social Security trust fund. There never was. As a matter of fact, Social Security started in debt because the United States was already in debt when they started Social Security. Supreme Court has ruled there is no separation of the funds. If the U.S. is in debt, Social Security is in debt. So your money was going to pay the debt and it was, and the debt has been increasing, increasing, increasing. You go, go online and look and they got a big long, you know, billions of dollars and, and the numbers are just zooming by real fast. That's your children going to have to pay that out. You're cursing your children with that debt because of your covetous practice because you want benefits at the expense of your neighbor. I don't want to do away with the government. Uh, I think it's fine. It's punishing those who are greedy for gain, who love the wages of unrighteousness. The wages of righteousness is to live by faith, hope, and charity, not to be forcing the contributions. So, you know, uh, Trump is going to shut down the government. We've seen this happen under uh, Bush and and other other presidents. I don't know. Probably all of them have done it at one time or another because of the conflict between Democrats and Republicans in the United States. And of course, we see France getting shut down now. Um, so it's happening all over the world. This is not a new thing. It was happening at the time of Jesus Christ in Rome. I mean, there were riots in Judea mentioned in the Bible because they took money out of the Corbin. That's another the treasury, the word Corbin is translated treasury sometimes because that's where you put your sacrifices in the treasury. Jesus talks about treasury. They took money out of that to build an aqueduct to go into Rome and the people rioted and and Pontius Pilate had to put down the riot with clubs like you see going on in France. So if you don't understand the history, you don't understand what they're talking about when they're talking about that in the Bible because Jesus talks about the blood. That came from that riot. And I I can show you pictures. We have it on the website. Of stones that were in that aqueduct. This is all part of the history. But Phil doesn't need footnotes. He knows it all already. This was the gospel. This is what was so controversial about Christians. Is that they were learning to take care of one another. Through faith, hope and charity. And that's, that's what we're trying to teach you. Is how to do that. And we're teaching you that. By showing you what the Bible is really talking about. It's right there in the text. We don't. We we find these other sources in history. We find how they change dictionaries. We, we show you how they translate. Five different words into the same English word. Or they translate. Uh, one Greek word into half a dozen different English words. Well you're missing stuff. And why? Because you've been going to those pastors. Well, the home church people saying, we don't like that. There's something wrong with that. Great. That's wonderful. 
Because now you can find out what they have deceived you. I mean, they've had 2,000 years to twist the Bible. So all we're doing is showing you, and not without footnotes and evidence, but tell you the truth, you're not going to see it unless you see that it's important. How What real fellowship is, is not sharing a pizza. Real fellowship is sharing your life with one another. Actually going to your neighbor's house and helping them take care of their father or grandfather or grandmother. You know, we have people going to people's houses and taking, helping them take care of their parents. We have one fellow whose uh, mother is, you know, she's pretty good, but I mean, she's up there in age and she has no short-term memory whatsoever. I mean, she forgets every few minutes what you said to her. And we'll go down and sit with her while he runs to the town to get something at the store. Uh, his brothers are coming out to help him and give him some relief. And uh, we're going to put them up. They're going to celebrate Christmas. We don't celebrate Christmas, but we don't fault anybody else for doing it. That's what he gets into in number 10, that Christmas, Easter is all pagan. Well, they have pagan origins. Nobody was celebrating Christmas in the early church. As a matter of fact, it was illegal to celebrate Christmas in early America. So all this is fairly new. I don't care if you celebrate Christmas. We actually help Old ladies who want to have a Christmas tree, put up the Christmas tree. But we witness with our service and help. We don't beat people over the head like some sort of troll that it's pagan. We we try to show and be that Christ in their life and take care of them. But people are still clinging to their old religious ideas and all this stuff. But as, as life goes on and if more of you would gather together, we can set the example of Christ. And these all these other things that they have, uh, their addictions to this holiday or that holiday will fall away. And they will become addicted to Christ. They will want to actually serve. People talk about church service. Church service in the early church, and we can show you this in early documentation. You see it in the Bible was rightly dividing the bread from house to house, taking care of the widows and orphans and needy of your society, doing it unspotted by the world. That's what James says. The word world there is constitutional order and government. It's not unspotted by religions. Well, in a way it kind of is. But because all the most, all the religions, not all of them, but many of them, were government religions. The free bread of Rome, when you wanted to go collect that, you went to the temple. There was a little building on the side of the temple, and that's where you got it. You got a little tessera clay tablet. That was like your EBT card to get those benefits. Rome was starting to borrow this stuff. I was just explaining the whole history of Nero because it's Nero's birthday. Is it today? It's, uh, I was trying to think of what is the date today? Yes, it's Nero's birthday today. <laughs> so, uh, You know, what he was doing. He was borrowing money and robbing the treasury. (laughs) And going off and doing stuff. And and the long-range repercussions of that are phenomenal. That's interesting in history. But we meet all of his ten planks. And this afternoon's show, we'll go through the rest of his letter. And then we'll put them all up on our uh, troll webpage at Preparing You. And you you can listen to it. And he can listen to it. I hope he doesn't get upset. I want I want salvation for him. Until then, peace on his house and your house, and God bless.
Well, welcome back. It sounded like I was at the end of the hour there. I must have lost track of time. <laughs> so anyway, we got another half hour to go over this last tenth thing because I really didn't cover it very good. Uh, lastly, he says in his tenth test, Jim's tenth test, is uh, modern denominational uh, evangelical systems of today are built on spiritual lies and falsehoods, uh, not truth. Uh, many of these are from pagan Rome. And I agree with that, 100%. Although I don't, you know, again, when you talk about spiritual lies, uh, it's not really, it's built on emotionalism and feel-goodism and and uh, self-righteousness and everything. And we can go through the whole history of how this transition took place. Uh, certainly the church was in a huge uh, apostasy or what was posing as the church was in a huge apostasy in the 1500s. And we see the Protestant Reformation trying to straighten things out. People are getting a chance to look at the Bible again. And they were translating it in English. There were all these different groups. And he mentions them. You know, Baptists, Lutheran, Methodists, you know, Mennonites. All these different groups came out of that Catholic Church. There were a lot of different groups in what we call the Catholic Church at one time. Like I mentioned at the beginning of uh, this two-part series here is that uh, Carmelites was uh, one of the last rites of the church to concede to the Pope. Um, they, they, they were much different. Uh, but there's all kinds of different groups within the Catholic Church and, uh, and they began to consolidate them back around 1000. Actually, you can go back to 900 and see quite a bit of evidence of that. The Roman Catholic Church was really born out of the Church of Constantine. Still today in law courts, they they make that reference only back to Constantine. Yet the definition of the church in Black's Law Dictionary is established not by Constantine, don't even mention him, but established by Jesus Christ. And of course, we agree with that. It is established by Jesus Christ. It's a community it's a society of people that are conforming to his doctrines, his teachings, his ordinances, what he said to do. One of those ordinances, as we've seen, is to sit down in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, because that's what he commanded. Another one is that we're not to exercise authority one over the other. Another one is to call no man on earth father, and to pray to our father in heaven, not to the fathers of the earth. And not to be like the benefactors who exercise authority one over the other. These are all direct statements of Christ. Feed my sheep, feed my sheep, feed my sheep if you love me. Well, you know, this is this is the ordinances of Christ and the teachings of Christ. And feeding his sheep doesn't mean, oh, you're actually hungry? You actually don't have any food? Your house burned down in Paradise, California? Well... Here's the number of FEMA. This is one of Jim's complaints that we have a webpage called FEMA. We say on the page, because he says, oh, he's he's crazy. He says that the early church was like FEMA, the Federal Emergency Management Auxiliary or, or Agency. No, we say on the webpage, we, we just take their FEMA, which is an anagram for Federal Emergency Management Agency, and we change it to Faith Emergency Ministry <laughs> Auxiliary. <laughs> so every congregation, 
would literally automatically become the faith emergency ministry auxiliary. Because you're connected by the tens, hundreds, and thousands, the way Christ commanded, if you do that, if you're just an isolated little home church, I'm sure there were some home churches in paradise. I don't know who they are. They're not connected with anybody else but their little home church. Hopefully they had some relatives and they they got some help somewhere else. Most of them are probably getting help from the government. Well, the government is the guys who call themselves benefactors but exercise authority. And Christ commanded that we not be that way. Because those guys who exercise authority, they're borrowing money to help you out. Your children are going to have to pay that money back. I mean, this is just simple bookkeeping math. (laughs) You can figure this out. You don't want to hear it. A lot of you don't want to hear it. Hopefully, some of you want to hear it. That the church wasn't borrowing money. That's another thing. He doesn't mention it anywhere here, but I'm sure Jim would agree with me. Church should not be borrowing money and putting their congregation in debt. Well, if you're going to the government to get your free bread... When your house burns down in paradise, they're not they're not taking that from a fund that they have. They're borrowing that money. And you'll see this in the news in the next week or so. I'm not sure when the time runs out. But they're going to vote on expanding that debt. So Christ, Rome was doing the same thing. Because they were sending aid where there were durs. The Christians were showing up first though, I'll bet you. And they were helping other Christians. And if they're really Christians, after they took care of the local congregations, they would help take care of others in their community. But the local congregation would tell them who to take care of, who had helped them, who had been Christian in their hearts with them. They might be still celebrating some pagan rituals and everything, but deep down in their hearts, they weren't really bad guys. They actually were more Christian. This is why Jesus talks to a a Pharisee, a member of the Sanhedrin, and says, you're not far from the kingdom. Why he can talk to a Roman centurion and say, I haven't found greater faith amongst anybody in Judea than this Roman guy. (laughs) What's, What's with that? Because the division between the righteous and the unrighteous, which is the division between Christ and and evil, is not based on your denominational checklist. <laughs> it's based on love for one another and love that matches the love of Christ. I mean, thieves and robbers love one another. The mafia, they all get together. They have gatherings. Is that a church assembly? <laughs> you know, but they're planning on, you know, working out a network of prostitution and drugs and what have you. So, but they love one another. They care. They'll, they'll even die for one another. You know, I was always amazed, at, you know, when the, the Russians were in Afghanistan, there were two Russian soldiers who were captured and they were given a chance to convert to uh, Muslim religion. And they said, if you don't, we're going to kill you. And they wouldn't do it. Now, they didn't belong to a religion, but they were loyal to the Kremlin and they would not convert and they had their throats slit that night. But, so that, they had faith. But they had faith in their government. They didn't have faith in God. You know, I don't know those, but that's the story. And, uh, there were, there were people there that were actually filming in that, uh, little group of, uh, Muslim freedom fighters fighting the Russians. 
And now some of those guys are probably fighting Americans. I don't know. But the reality is we're, we're dividing along the wrong lines. I agree with Jim. This denominationalism is not good. We have an article up on that. We show why it is not good. The, the seminaries are taught, uh, teaching modern pastors, uh, uh, you know, sit up there in the pulpit and tell people to believe this and this and this. And it's not always true. Some things are right. I mean, you can't hardly read the Bible without getting some things right. But if it's very clear from the Acts of the Apostles and from from the words of James and the words of John that people were taking care of one another. They weren't sitting in pews. They weren't listening to music to feel good or to feel saved. They didn't have little catchphrases. If you say this phrase... Now, now, there's a place where Paul says you confess this with your lips. But it has to be true because Paul also talks about being liars. So if, you, if a liar confesses it with his lips, is he saved? <laughs> no, Paul's not saying that. You have to understand how people talk in those days and how Paul wrote. So you, you can't create, you can't, you know, John makes it very clear if you're not keeping the commandments. If you're coveting your neighbor's goods at the agency of men who exercise authority. If you're praying to the fathers of the earth. And we have articles showing you who the fathers of the earth. What that word meant at that time. They weren't talking about Catholic priests. They were talking about the Roman government. And I'm not condemning the Roman government. But even go to Polybius. Which we quote. uh, Showing you the times. Because he Polybius lived 150 years before Christ. He was saying that Rome, the nature of the people was changing because they were becoming accustomed to living at the expense of their neighbor because that socialist policy of taking from one class of citizen and giving to another by force was becoming pervasive in Rome and the Roman Empire. And it became pervasive even in Judea under Herod. But John the Baptist comes along. When everybody else is trying to find their kingdom of heaven by force, their their utopia government, by forcing the contributions of the people, which Saul was called foolish for forcing the sacrifice of the people. But they were all doing that. Everywhere in the Roman Empire almost they were doing it. I say almost because there were groups that weren't. The Essenes weren't. Most of the Essenes. Some some Essenes were. And they were referred to by the other Essenes as lovers of soft things. <laughs> so they were kind of put down by them. But uh, the, this whole idea of taking care of the needy of your society by forced offerings is contradictory to what John the Baptist was saying. He was saying do it by free will offerings. That's what we preach. That was seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Take care of one another through free will offerings. You want fellowship? That will give you fellowship. You want the Holy Spirit to enter into your midst and see tongues of fire and miracles? Start doing that. You're going to find out that's not as easy as you thought. That, But that's a process. I'm not saying you jump out of the system and you know, start tearing up your social security check and all that stuff. That system's going to fail. The unrighteous mammon, that's what it is. Mammon means entrusted wealth. 
the unrighteous mammon was the mammon that was the entrusted wealth that was collected by contracts and force and membership in a, in a system, which is what Herod had set up. Tiberius was continuing what Augustus had set up, and really it had already started even 150 years before in Rome, and it was altering the nature of the people so they could not see the gospel. And John the Baptist, his voice in the wilderness, said, no, we're not going to do it by force. I'm not going to do it by force. We're going to have to do it by charity, by love. Same word translated into charity is the same word translated into love. And that's what Christ comes along and says, seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. That's real time stuff. You won't be able to see the kingdom unless you're born again of the spirit. Now, many of you are coming out of the modern denominational church are starting to see how important it is to love one another and have these real relationships in local community uh, gatherings, home churches. We advocate that hugely but we also advocate what christ advocated to sit down in the tents every home church should be connected with every other home church by some means of communication and not just the internet but an actual living network of living stones these ministers and like i say all of our ministers none of them get a salary none of them get a paycheck because i mean they're they're responsible for 10 families well, each of those 10 families are responsible for themselves. And each of those 10 families need to love one another in their congregation and help them out when they need help. And they often do. And I'm sure many of you home churches do the same thing. But then those home churches need to gather in the hundreds. 10 home churches connect with these others, uh, these nine other home churches. Then you do it in thousands. And then when there's a disaster, then when, you know, the government shut down, like they're talking about shutting it down, that they'll start it up again. But I guess Trump said he's he's going to shut it down until they give him a budget that includes the wall, which is reasonable because he was elected saying that he was going to build it. Now Congress is not giving him the money to do it. Well, if this is an indirect democracy, they should give him the money, you know, but, you know, my position, I don't I don't need the wall. I have Christ. That's that's their world. I I don't participate in that. I mean, it's fine if you do. If you think that's where you need to go, go ahead and do that. But the kingdom principles, you know, Paul was preaching to the treasurer of Corinth. What do you think he was telling the treasurer of Corinth? He says he's telling the treasurer of Corinth that if you want to fill your treasury, you should do it by faith, hope, and charity. And to provide these services through free will offerings. Because then you won't get Detroit's. That's what, you know, the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah. Somebody posted this just the other day on a, on a group. Said the sin of Sodom and Gomorrah is that we didn't give to the poor. That Sodom didn't give to the poor. No, it didn't say that. It said in a time of affluence, there was an abundance of idleness. And they did not strengthen the poor. Much of what you see in the ghettos and the poor neighborhoods throughout the United States and Detroit and Baltimore and everything is because of an excessive amount of welfare given to people so that they actually have broke down the family. 
uh, if, if your husband's not around, you get more money. If you have more kids, you get more money. You get more aid. Well, that's the wrong incentive. You want to create an incentive where if you stay together. Well, in America, the churches used to take care of all the welfare needs of society. The church and just general people helping one another and charities and philanthropic organizations. The government wasn't doing it. That didn't start till you saw a little tiny bit in around 1911, a little bit more in 1916. But it really didn't get going until 1933. And then it come out gangbusters in 1960, you know, under LBJ. Same thing was going on in Australia. We go through the whole history of that in Australia. So you can see the principles. This was going on in Rome 150 years before Christ and really got going under Augustus. Jews were collecting free bread from Augustus. And if their free bread giveaway came on a Jewish holiday, they could come on another day. Augustus wrote a law that they could come on another day. Jews actually loved Augustus. Augustus means savior. (laughs) That's what it means. It's not his name. Octavius is his name. He was called the savior of Rome. And Jesus was another savior. And they they even use a word that means you know he was this sort what was it sortus or sortos um, that Jesus was this savior. But how was Jesus doing it? Through faith, open charity, and the perfect law of liberty. What Paul is preaching when Paul is going to these churches, they're already taking care of one another. He tells them, take up a collection before I get there, so that you know I can take the funds and go. It's very clear. He's mentioning this over and over again. What funds? The funds that they're collecting to go help out another group somewhere else. All the home churches should be doing this. But they have to do it wisely. And that means you have to know the ministers of your congregation get together with nine other ministers of congregations. And they get to know each other. They get to know, is this guy really on the level? Is he really... I mean, how many times have you heard about some church taking up collections for, you know, orphanages in Africa. I remember that one clearest in my mind because the guy collected $8 million out there on the East Coast, North Carolina, Florida, going around from church to church. He had these pictures of orphans in Africa, and he was collecting all this money. Collected $8 million. Not one dime ever went to helping orphans. No oversight. That's why Christ created this system or promoted this system of tens, hundreds, and thousands. Because there's oversight from the bottom and there's oversight from the top. And there's oversight in the middle, (laughs) laterally, horizontally, vertically, every which way. Because everybody is getting to know one another. And if there's corruption, if somebody's collecting millions of dollars, which nobody should be doing, um, we're certainly not, (laughs) uh, that you you follow the money. I mean, Christ was crucified because he kicked the money changers out of the temple. How many of you know that the money changers and the power to kick them out of the temple and tip over their tables, which is another word you should look at, was only the power of the king. And and the high priest could do it, but uh, the king could do it. And it had been that way. It said it's that way since the days of David. That David had the power to fire the porters of the temple, which were the money changers, when donations came in. 
people say, oh, well, you know, the original tithing, it wasn't money. It was only, you know, uh, animal byproducts and, you know, and and uh, crops and things like that. Well, they didn't even invent. The first coin, what was it, the Lydian coin, around 600 A.D. <laughs> I mean, 600 B.C. Uh, so, yeah, they didn't have coins. They did have precious metals, and if you were a miner, that's what you would give. Uh, they didn't have coins. Um, and so, it, a coin is just portable wealth, a way in which, you know, to give value. And always, the Levites had the power, if they were given lots of sheep and they didn't need any sheep, they could sell the sheep or trade them off, because it was mostly a trading society. They could trade it off for what they did need. What did they need? They needed to help the needy of their society to serve it says the tabernacles of the congregation it's not just the big tent that they put up here and there it's actually that this is why the levites they were all over israel that there was land in almost every village that was set aside for the levites you still only tied to them according to their service and this is because the governing power of israel was in the hands of the individual. If a Levite was not doing a good job, nobody wanted him to be their minister. But his job was to connect them with all the other Israelites all over Judea. They didn't have cell phones and computers, so these guys had to travel about. And that's why they had the festivals, to help keep the people connected. So that if they were invaded, if there was a drought, if there was a famine, if there was a flood, if there was it whatever disaster was taking place. If there was corruption, they were in communication to deal with it. It was a way in which to govern themselves without going back to the bondage of Egypt. The whole world has gone back to the bondage of Egypt. Bondage of Egypt, all the gold and silver was in the hands of the Pharaoh. All the animals were owned by the Pharaoh and controlled. They were his resources. And even the people were his resources. But he could only tax them 20%. One-fifth. It's worse with you today. Now, I'm not trying to tear down the system. I'm just telling you where you're at. And I tell you that the rewards of Christ will be great if you turn around and start thinking, we could take care, we used to take care of this in America, ourselves, in the church. We used to take care of the needy. We could start doing that. Can you take everybody that's in your church or in your home church that's on Social Security or welfare or whatever it is, start paying for all that Probably not. But that's why Jesus doesn't say seek the kingdom of God. I mean, he doesn't say jump into the kingdom of God. He says seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So this is a goal that every home church should have. Is to, what can we do to serve one another? Because if we're going to come in the name of Christ, we're going to come to serve because Christ says, we. I am one who comes to serve. So if you're coming together in your home church to serve, then maybe you are coming in the name of Christ. If you're thinking that we could eventually, if we gather together as Christ commanded in the tens, hundreds, and thousands, we could take care of all the social welfare of the people. And in a time of emergency, or, you know, if the unrighteous mammon fails, what is the unrighteous mammon? The entrusted wealth that is collected by forcing the offerings of the people. That's what was the problem with Corbin. You don't believe me? I can't go into it all now in this program. 
But that's why we put up the articles. And that's why we're putting audios on the articles. And that's why we have the footnotes. Check me out. You know, uh, Jim did not really check us out. He didn't, because he, he, in his deal, which I may go through in this afternoon program, the rest of his letter, I, I, I treated some of it, the first little part, until we got down to the, the his ten things that we supposedly didn't pass, but we just went over. We'll go down through the rest of the things that he has against us, and you'll find out that most all of them are not true. They don't apply to us. But he didn't know they didn't apply to us. They don't, because cause we're talking about things that he doesn't understand. You know, and that's, he even said that I said that Paul was a liar. No, I'm the, a staunch defender of Paul. <laughs> but Paul talks to you about things hard to understand, and many of you don't understand them yet today. And once you do, we can seek the kingdom of God together and the righteousness of God together. And the blessings of God will come to us many more fold than I can even imagine. And But until then, I'm going to have to say peace on your house and may God be with you. God bless. You have been listening to The Keys of the Kingdom with Brother Gregory of His Holy Church. For more information on the educational ministry provided by His Holy Church and Brother Gregory, including services, counseling, lectures, books, and other audio materials, please write to His Church at Summer Lake, Box 10, Summer Lake, Oregon, 97640. You can also find us on the web at www.hisholychurch.net.